Well, we have been spending quite a bit of time together studying in the book of John, and we're looking forward to now picking back up in our study of John and continuing. Uh, This is where we have been. We started all the way back in August in John chapter 1, and here we are in the new year, and we're in John chapter 4. So I told you jokingly when we began that it may be a few years, and as we're tracking right now, uh, it may be a few years. So here's where we're going. Uh, This takes us up to uh, Missions Conference. As you see, we're moving forward, and today we're kind of concluding with, with the encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well. And as we've been studying the book of John and been going through the book of John together, we have been doing it in light of the reason for why the book was written. And the book of John uh, is very clear, the author is very clear in the book as to why he wrote. And he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, just a refresher, a reminder of where we were before we left off. We were at the end of Jesus' encounter with the woman of the well, that initial encounter that he had with her. And Jesus had talked about how he was able to give this woman living water. And we might have asked the question, well, what did that living water represent? And certainly, further in John, Jesus gives us insight to what that living water represents. And it says this in John 7 on the last day, Of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink, much like the invitation that he gave the woman at the well. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So let's take a look at breaking down this interaction. So at the beginning of John chapter 4, which we started all the way back in October, we see that Jesus is able to give the Holy Spirit. He's able to provide this living water to this woman who comes to the well uh, thirsty and wanting water. The Holy Spirit acts as living waters welling up and producing within us first. We looked at this in John chapter 4, verses 16 to 26. There's obedience in worship. If you remember, Jesus takes the woman at the well uh, and, and helps correct her misunderstandings of what worship looks like. And so this living water that he gives us is able to produce within us obedience in worship. And today, as we go into Verses 27 to 38, we'll see how this living water that he gives us can lead us into obedience in our living as well, growing in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. And next week, as we conclude this entire interaction, we'll see how this living water is able to produce a harvest. People coming to Jesus next week in verses 39 to 45. So what's our goal today? Our goal today is to explore how God uses this interaction Jesus has with the woman at the well to produce a harvest. So if you have your Bibles today, please turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 27 to 38. And as you turn there, let's pray together. Father God, we come to your word every week with anticipation that it's your desire. It's your intention that your word would change us through the power of your spirit. Lord, this is something you've called us to uh, each week to do together as a body of Christ, to study your word, to preach the word. 
and we open your word with anticipation that you're going to use it, that it won't return void, that it'll cause us to change, that we might leave this place and, and, and be influenced in such a way by your spirit that as we leave, folks will know that we've been changed by the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is John chapter 4, verses 27 to 38. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So as we return to the scene of this, we're immediately confronted again with the awkwardness of this situation. Right? These disciples come and they see that Jesus has began this interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. And if you remember weeks ago when we initially looked at this, this was such an unusual interaction. It's, it's something that would not have been expected and the disciples' reaction to it should give us further proof of that. They're marveling at this. They're marveling, but I, I think it's interesting. They're marveling, they're maybe flabbergasted, but, but more importantly, they're speechless. Right? This, this kind of interaction maybe they had come to expect in their time of being with Jesus. That, that Jesus would go and he would talk with anyone. Because no one says a word. No one asks any questions to Jesus. Why are you talking to this woman? What did she want? Uh, you know, their thought is, I wonder who Jesus is going to go and speak to next. And I wonder if it was almost entertaining for the disciples to watch Jesus knock down and destroy what were these commonly held social barriers that would have kept individuals from interacting with each other just because that was the way that it was. Friends, no one is safe from the reach of Jesus. No one. And if Jesus would take pause in his life to speak to a Samaritan woman and offer her living water, his grace surely knew no bounds. But, but God has a, a deeper intended purpose for this interaction. Something is happening here. He's using this interaction that this woman has with Jesus to change this woman's priorities. He's producing something within her. It's, it's an obedience. And we see it right away in her first action in our text in verse 28. What does she do? She leaves behind the water jar. She leaves it behind. 
Her, her very intended reason and purpose for coming to the well in the first place, she completely abandons. It's kind of like uh, when Sheila says to me, will you go to Maplehoff and get milk? And, and I go to Maplehoff to get milk, but I see that there's a whoopie pie. And, and I abandon the intended purpose for going to Maplehoff and purchase the whoopie pie and head back out to my car only to sit down and realize I forgot to get the milk. You know, sometimes things happen and we get distracted and we lose focus or things happen and we abandon our purpose to go after the things that God is calling us to. And in that case, this is what's happened. This woman, this water, it was so important to her to quench her physical thirst. But Jesus was calling her to something that was so much more, so much greater. And so she abandons her original purpose. You know, it's interesting. It should remind us of the calling, the initial calling of the 12 disciples. Remember, these were fishermen. These were men who were at work. And Jesus said, lay down your nets, come and follow me. And they abandoned their careers. They abandoned their jobs. And in some situations, they left the comforts of their homes and their families to follow Jesus. Remember the other side of that, the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. What must I do to follow you? And Jesus told him, and he he wasn't willing to leave it behind and to follow. But, But this woman was and not only is he changing her and to, to the point where she's leaving behind her intended purposes for coming to the well in the first place there's something else that's happened here she has a new mission a new vision a new purpose it's a message that she has to proclaim and friends it's a message that stands as an example for us in all of our lives for those that we know who don't yet know Jesus if you sit here this morning and Jesus is your Lord and Savior. This is a message, friends, for you to share with the world that does not yet know. Two simple words, profound but powerful. Come, see. Come, see. Verse 29, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? There are two invitations like this in our text this morning. And this is the first. This is an invitation to those who do not yet know Jesus. Friends, it's an invitation to the lost. Come and see. I loved Garrett last week, his message. It was so powerful and profound as he talked about Paul coming not with the eloquence of speech, not with these great and and lofty arguments, but with one message, a simple message. Christ crucified. Friends, our message to our unbelieving friends stands on the testimony of Paul. You know, and, and, and we're often intimidated. And, and I stand with you in this. Sometimes we're intimidated, we're scared because we're not quite sure what to share or what to say to our friends that don't know Jesus. Uh, we don't want to be, uh, you know, people talk about Bible bashing and all these other things. And so we have a little bit of an insecurity about what we might say. But friends, what this woman says to the townspeople is such a great example for us. It's it's such a great testimony for us. It's simple. Come, see. Come, see the God who changed my life. Come and see the God who gives me hope in the midst of life's greatest struggles. Come and see the evidence of a God who's able to make streams in the desert. Come see the work of my God who moves mountains who provides when it appears there's no way, 
who's made the impossible possible in my life. Come and see. Come and see the God who gives me great joy. Come and see the God who is able to satisfy my deepest longing. Come and see the God who is able to hold my life together when pain and despair set in. Come and see a God who who knew me perfectly and could tell me all that I ever did. Come and see. And friends, where should our God be magnified, lifted up, and perhaps seen the most clearly to the world around us? Here on Sunday morning as we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. An invitation, friends, to a non-believing friend to come and see. An invitation giving with great fear and trembling. It's not resting on our own eloquence of speech or our own strength, but as Garrett reminded us last week, it's wholly resting on the strength of God. Come and see what He can do, what He can do can produce. And if there's any fruit from that invitation to our friends and to our our non-believing folks that we know in our lives, if there's any fruit, God will be sure to receive the glory. What was the result of this? In our text today, it should be so encouraging because here she goes into town, she says to her friends, come and see, come and see, uh, could this be the Christ? And what happens in verse 30, they went out of town and they were coming to him. Church, there's a lesson here for us in the example of this woman at the well. When we're given the Holy Spirit, He's given to us as an inheritance. And the Bible tells us that He's not given to us without effect. That means that when when we become believers, the Holy Spirit indwells us, He's given to us with effect. Something in our lives must change. He is evidence of God's grace to us. And God's grace should never be without effect. It should always cause us to change. And that's exactly what's happening in the life of this woman that Jesus encounters at the well. The Holy Spirit should produce something within us, namely the fruit of the Spirit. And others should be able to see the effect of His work in our lives. Like the Samaritan woman at the well who so quickly responded, we clearly see the effect that this interaction with Jesus has had on our lives. And we should be able to look at each other's lives, friends, in the church. We should be able to look at one another and see the grace of God upon us has not been given without effect. Now, we have all this great stuff going on, right? This interaction with Jesus at the well. This woman's excited. Her life has changed. She's running back to town to tell her all her townspeople and friends to come and see this man. And then there's this group here of the disciples. And it's interesting. Let's take a look and see what they're consumed with in the passage today. Jesus is going to use this interaction to clarify and redirect the disciples' purpose. Look at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. While all of this great stuff's going on, what are the disciples concerned about? They're urging him, Rabbi, eat, eat. Now the scenario moves from first at the beginning, the disciples are marveling at this interaction, and now the disciples are urging him to eat. And there's a few observations here. First, it occurs to me that in this passage, we have Jesus who's dealing with both water and food, right? And in both a physical 
and in both a spiritual way. And we've talked before as we've studied John about the physical and the spiritual realities that we see all throughout the book of John. And we know that Jesus is able to meet both our physical needs and our spiritual needs. We're going to see at the end of the chapter how Jesus is able to meet the physical needs of an official son as he heals him. We're going to see in the next chapter Jesus is able to meet the physical needs of the man at the pool of Bethesda. But we also know that he's able to meet our deepest spiritual needs. And friends, it is not on our timeline or our agenda, and sometimes we get the priorities of these needs confused. And I believe that's what we have here with the disciples. The disciples are so concerned with the physical food. Jesus, eat. Jesus, you need to eat. You need to eat something. And their priorities are off. They're misfocused. And so we find these two groups of people that are approaching Jesus in this passage. And both are drawn by the intended circumstances that God had planned for this interaction. We have one group of people, the disciples, coming to worry and and have physical needs met. Let's eat. They're hungry. But we have another group, the townspeople. They're coming to have their spiritual needs met. Because spiritually, they're thirsty. They're dry as the woman who had come to the well. And friends, it's true that Jesus is wholly able to completely satisfy both the physical hunger of his disciples and the spiritual thirst of the townspeople who were coming to him. He's able to completely satisfy both. One group drawn by the circumstance of physical hunger, one group drawn by the circumstance of spiritual thirst. Both groups drawn to Jesus by God. Both groups prepared by God to have their needs met in this moment. And both groups, friends, both groups would be satisfied. Both. Not only is Jesus able to feed and satisfy himself without the aid of his disciples, but he is also wholly able to provide nourishment and and hydration for the approaching townspeople. Take a look at verses 32 and 33 as Jesus refocuses the disciples' attention. He refocuses their attention. Verse 32, he says to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus is trying here to explain to the disciples the reality of the situation. But unfortunately, the disciples here think Jesus is guilty of something that all of us have been guilty of at one time or another in our life. Snacking before dinner. Right? They're, They're concerned about that. Who snuck Jesus a snack, guys? Right? Come on, we were supposed to have this nice meal together. We're supposed to get together and we're supposed to eat. And somebody messed it up. Who brought him something to eat. Who ruined this moment? Jesus is so quick to explain what actually, truly sustains him. And this is such a a great and powerful point in our text today. Jesus actually reveals to us in our text today what sustains him. When Jesus ministered on earth for over 30 years, what was it that sustained him? And a question for us, a follow-up question for us today, church, is this, could it be that what sustains Jesus should also be that which sustains us? Could it be? Let's take a look. Look down at verses 34 and 35. Jesus 
said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Friends, there are two realities here that sustain Jesus. And I would suspect that if these things are able to sustain Jesus, then we should also be able to believe that they're able to sustain us as well. The first is to do the will of God. And the second is to accomplish His work. Now, now I, don't, I don't want to confuse this, and I don't want to make this seem like something you have to go get a Bible college degree to understand, but the will of God has been something that has been so exasperated in our culture today. Everyone is asking the question, what is God's will for my life? And book after book after book has been written on the will of God. And, and we've made a concept which I believe Jesus intends to be very simplistic. We've made it so difficult and complicated in our culture today. It's, it's like, well, if I go look behind this tree, might I see the will of God for my life and the decision. Maybe it's under a rock over here. I don't know. And we come up with, today I'm going to open my Bible and whatever page I fall to, I'm going to read that and that might be God's will for my life today. And we have all these different ways that we go about wanting to try to figure out what the will of God is. But friends, if we are walking in obedience to God, if we're walking in obedience with Him, then His will surrounds us. His will for our life surrounds us. Look simply at the testimony of Jesus in this passage. Here he's, he's standing at a well and he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Do you think it was God's will? Absolutely. Offering to satisfy more than just her physical thirst. The will of God? Absolutely. He's correcting and he's interacting with his disciples as they come back and they're a little bit off focus. Could that be the will of God? For sure. He's discipling his disciples and his followers towards a greater understanding of God. Could it be his will? It certainly is. He's preparing to satisfy the needs of the approaching crowd that is coming. The will of God? Absolutely. Jesus is walking in obedience to the Father. And the will of God surrounds him because he's walking in obedience. Friends, the will of God and the work of God surrounds us when we walk in obedience with the Lord. And you know, as I was, I always like to talk to my wife about the message because it's so refreshing to hear from a, a woman's perspective what she thinks about this. And one of the thoughts that she had as I was talking to her this week is, you know, one of the questions that, that we probably most fight with when we talk about the will of God is, you know, things like, what college should I go to? Or, or I have, there's two missionaries that I could support, but I only have this amount of money. Which one should I support? So a lot of times, there's many good things that we're looking at when we're talking about the will of God, and we're asking, which one? Which one? But friends, it, it, more importantly, walk in obedience. Walk in obedience and, and trust with faith that God will open the doors and direct you in the pathways that he has. The will of God surrounds us. It surrounds us. It encompasses us. It encompasses us. Take a look at the second invitation then in our passage today. And this is important for us to be able to observe and to see God's will at work in our life. 
The second invitation, the first was come and see. It was an invitation to those who have not yet believed. But church, the second invitation is an invitation for us, for the church. Look at what he says. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Friends, this is our invitation today. If we're here today, if we enjoy peace with God through Jesus, this invitation is ours. It's a reminder that God is at work all around us. The harvest is white. And, and church, I, I know that there are a lot of things that can distract us. And I believe that this was what was happening with the disciples right there and then in this very moment. They didn't see. Seeing, they did not see. They thought that Jesus' physical need to eat was more important than the spiritual harvest that was approaching. And their priorities were off place. And church, it's so easy today to get distracted by things. There are a lot of things that can distract us and can take us off mission. And, and if I can just be personal, church, for a moment this morning, I think it's important. I, I've had six months now almost. Can you believe it's been that long? Almost. February. Six months. To observe and to take inventory of all that's happening here. And I've realized as a congregation that this congregation has been through a lot in the last 18 to 24 months. Absolutely been through a lot. And friends, those things, those kinds of things that that you suffered through together, that you walked through together, that the Lord brought you through together, they can become distracting. And they can cause us to take our eyes off of the things that are truly important, what the Lord is doing all around us. And my encouragement for us as a body as we move forward in this new year and as we move forward uh, under, under this tenure of leadership and pastoral ministry that I have here, my, my hope is that we can heal together and we can lift up our eyes and we can see and we can focus on the things that are truly important. And we can be consumed by those things and not distracted by all of the others. There's so many distractions not just in our culture today and in our world, but friends, there's so many distractions oftentimes right within our own congregation. And, and the challenge uh, for us as believers is the challenge that Jesus is giving the disciples right here in the text. Look, lift up your eyes and see. I think it's seven words and three references and seven words to the eyes. I'm at work. I, I'm doing things all around you, wonderful things. People's lives are being transformed. They're being changed. Go and and love them and disciple them and help them grow up into faith. Go out into your communities and and tell people to come and see the good things that I'm doing and the great things that I'm able to accomplish in your midst. The harvest is white, friends. It was white for the disciples. They were about to miss it. It was ready and it's white today. It's, It's even more so today. As we look at our culture and we look at our world, we live in a world that has walked further and further away from the Lord. And so even 15 or 20 years ago, if you were to tell me that you were being raised in church and you were being brought up in the church, that would mean that you were going to church regularly, two, maybe three times a week, definitely once a week. But in just 15 to 20 years, friends, 15 to 20 years, it's not a very long period of time. 
regular church attendance, the definition of that has diminished to maybe once or twice a month. A month. And, and don't think that won't have an influence and an effect on our culture. It absolutely will. It absolutely will. As our culture works, walks further and further from God and farther and farther away from evangelicalism and more into a post-evangelical culture. Friends, the fields are white for harvest. They're white for harvest. There's folks that, that we need to, to go to and say, hey, come and see. Come and see. We don't need to try to convince them or argue with them. We just need to get them here. Come and see and let Jesus do the work because he'll do the work to change them from the inside. And those of us that are here, we need to lift up our eyes together as a body of Christ and we need to see that he is at work all around us. His will and his work encompass us. And we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to become distracted by our circumstances. And bury our head in the sand and wait. The harvest is here already. Friends, in your neighborhoods, God has prepared it. He's gone before you. He's prepared the harvest. In your homes, with your children that don't know Jesus, your family members that don't know Jesus, He's gone before you. He's preparing a harvest. Students that are here at your schools, students that are in college, in your colleges, friends that, that on the job, the harvest is ready. There are folks at your work that would love for someone to just walk up to them and say, hey, how can I be praying for you? Oh, we don't, we don't pray. I don't pray. I don't really believe in Jesus. Well, that's okay. I do. So just let me know how I can be keeping you and your family in prayer. Something as simple as a conversation like that can, can just pay a huge, God can do that to pay huge dividends in that person's life. And we never know how Jesus might be using us to influence someone else or to draw someone else closer to himself. At the grocery store, in the midst of our daily errands, there are no chance encounters, friends. I truly believe that. I really believe that with all of my heart. A hundred percent, there is no encounter that we have during the day that hasn't been prepared and planned out by God. And are we making the most of every encounter we have? Every encounter. This is, this is the way ministry works, friends. There are days when I come into the, to the church and I have in my mind what I would like to do and I would like to accomplish, but a phone call comes or an email comes. And, and friends, I, I just don't believe, church, that those are chance things that are just randomly coming. I believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit and that every encounter in our lives is planned and prepared by God because He is working all the time around us and he wants us to lift up our eyes and to see no accidental encounters we serve a sovereign God who's prepared every moment of our lives so that we might live to magnify him and his glory might be revealed to every person we have contact with every single day friends the second invitation in in the text it's a call to us to the church lift up our eyes See what God is doing and what he has prepared for us. And our text leaves us with great reasons to do so. Look down at verse 36. There's a, a result of seeing what God is doing in verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. 
Now it's interesting, he begins this sentence with the word already. Not, hey, this is going to happen down the road. Or, hey, this might happen. Or, this is going to happen. Already, this has happened. This has just happened in his interaction with the woman at the well. It's just happened. It's about to happen again with the crowd that's soon arriving. And it's going to continue to happen, friends, over and over and over again. God is using our sowing and our reaping to gather fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper might rejoice together. As we see God at work around us, it should produce joy within us, right? We looked at this in Isaiah chapter 9 as we were walking through the Advent together. Remember this verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 3. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the, sto- the soil. Being used of God, friends, either to sow or to reap, should produce joy that is to be celebrated together. And where do we celebrate that, friends? We celebrate it right here on Sunday morning together. The work of God in our lives and the will of God. What has God called you to this week? What what has God taught you this week from His Word? What interactions have you had this week that were encounters that you knew were prepared by God for you to have? And what encouragement came from those encounters? I want to hear about them. We should all want to hear about them. It should make us excited to celebrate this work together as a body of Christ. And there were difficulties with this, and, and Paul understood them, and he addressed them, and Garrett kind of alluded to it last week. There were some divisions Right? People were getting a little bit upset about uh, certain people in ministry and what they were doing. Some were sowing, some were reaping, and all of these things. But ultimately, what was of greatest importance was that God would be receiving the glory. So the question we might ask is, how do we know that God's receiving the glory? And not us. Well, church, when we are joyful for what He is producing through us, He is receiving the glory. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Now look, does that not affirm? No chance encounters. No chance encounters. The Lord assigned the fruit of these men's ministry to them. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And that's us today, church. This is where we're at. God is working in and among us to produce a harvest to produce fruit he's using some of us some of us have more of a sowing ministry and we're rubbing shoulders every day with maybe more non-believers than any of than other of us are and so our ministry is more of a come and see kind of ministry others of us he has us in the context of working with a lot of other believers frequently and, and we're often together with other believers our ministry then is a come lift up your eyes and see reaping ministry But whether we sow, whether we reap, it's the Lord who gets the glory. Take a look at the final two verses of our text this morning. As Jesus wraps up his instructions 
to the disciples right before this crowd comes. He says, for here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Friends, we do not reap that which has not been prepared by another's labor. And that is an important lesson, church, today. And, and to keep that in front of us when there is victory, when there is opportunity and occasion to celebrate, we celebrate because God used another saint, God used another believer to help draw another brother or sister unto himself. We stand on the shoulders of the cloud of witnesses that has gone before us. It's their labor that we have entered into. Friends, there are some men and women in this congregation that are godly men and women that have given their lives to serve the Lord. And if we reap today what we reap, much of which may be on the shoulders of how God has used them and their labor, they might not ever experience all the great and wonderful things that the Lord is going to produce through the legacy that they leave behind. Think of men like Charlie Sensenig, who have recently passed. I was studying this scripture, and I thought, in the short amount of time that I knew this man, what a legacy and what an influence he had in my heart and my life. And we reap behind the labor of others, the work of others' friends. The disciples, they got to reap the harvest for which they, they didn't sow. It was the patriarchs, it was the prophets, it was the priests, the kings, the judges, the leaders of the Old Testament who labored. It was John the Baptist who was beheaded. And it was the disciples who were getting to experience the harvest of all of the labor that had been sown by those who had gone before them. And that is us today. And friends, that is what should keep us humble as a body of Christ together. It's not us. We're not celebrating our own work. We're not celebrating ourselves. And those who have gone before us wouldn't want us to celebrate them either. It's all about the Lord and what He is doing and what He is accomplishing and being thankful that He is producing something from our, our friends, broken vessels that we are. Broken vessels. Remember what Garrett said? We were weak. We were lowly. And yet the Lord chooses us and invites us and produces through us ministry that can reap a harvest. So the question we ask as we conclude our time together on Sundays is how should our lives look in light of these realities? And there's a question, church. What effect has God's grace had on your life? As you sit here today, what is it that He's producing through you? What is it that he's brought you into, that he's walked you towards? Who are the people in your life that he's surrounded you with, that you have regular interaction and ministry with on a daily basis, or on a weekly basis? What are the patterns of life that he's established and living that you are walking in and the different people that you come into contact every day? Is your ministry more of a come and see sowing ministry? Are you surrounded by more non-believers so you're inviting, come and see what God can do? Or, or does the Lord have you in a place where you're surrounded by many believers and there's more of a reaping ministry? Look, lift up your eyes and see God is good. He is at work. He's producing through us. Friends, the, 
The challenge for us today is to stay alert and to be aware of the will of God and the work of God that surrounds us and encompasses us when we are obediently walking in the ways of the Lord. And as we began this morning with gratitude and thankfulness for the many that He is using to reap and to sow here at Calvary Monument, we will conclude our morning with gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done and remembering that through the celebration of communion. And so elders, if you would please move to the back of the auditorium as we prepare to receive communion together and end our service with great thankfulness, remembering and reflecting on the work that God has done to bring us to this point in our lives. When we take communion together at Calvary Monument Bible Church, we remember with joyful reverence the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. It's a sacrifice that has given us the opportunity to believe and have life in His name. Draw us out of darkness. And you baptize us into the church. And you place us in communities around people where the fields are white for harvest. And we're thankful for the testimony of your son who was the perfect sower and the perfectly powerful reaper as well. Lord, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and the shame that came with it. And he did that, Lord, so that we may have an opportunity to have life with you. As we celebrate communion this morning, Father, I pray that we would remember those realities, reflect on them, and be thankful for the powerful work of Jesus in our lives.